Hello and welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I'm kind of glad this isn't the Angelina Jolie movie. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss The Changeling, which released in 1980. From a story by Russell Hunter, with a screenplay by William Gray and Deanna Maddox, and directed by Peter Medak. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows John Russell, played by George C. Scott. He has recently suffered a family tragedy and has decided to sell his apartment and move into a big house in Seattle. Once there, he realises he's not alone, but starts to investigate what is actually going on and realises that he's not the only one who has suffered a tragedy. What is it you want? What do you want from me? So I said this was based on a story by Russell Hunter, mm. and that means that this was an actual true ghost haunting. Yeah, allegedly. yeah, allegedly. Uh, now, apparently, he stayed in the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion in Denver, Colorado, since been demolished. Yeah. And uh, basically, everything that he said that happens is what the screenwriters then went and put in this film. Oh, right, okay. But interestingly, the two screenwriters did apparently six months of extensive research uh, looking into all forms of paranormal activity mm. uh, and the research that goes into trying to document these sort of cases. Yeah. So I was like, so it's definitely uh, well researched. Uh, but part of my brain also goes, maybe it was also the fact that the Amityville Horror came out like a year before yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And the studios were just like, any ghost stories? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> haunted go. houses, let's go. <laughs> now, I remember seeing this film uh, in my early teens. And I dismissed this. I actually, I don't think I ever made it to the end. Mm. I thought it was boring, dull, you know, like the ghost wasn't really doing anything. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of also kind of blame Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. For, but... like, the likes of Poltergeist. Yes. You know, I'd already seen stuff like Hellraiser. Yeah. So, you know, watching, watching horror movies and then going back to something that's really... Uh, sort of minimalist, mm. you know, in terms of its delivery. You almost think like almost all these haunted house type movies are usually demons. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I... so maybe that explains why this film that is considered quite widely as a pretty damn good film is kind of gone pretty cult classic style and remained, you know, unnoticed by so many. Well, this is this is the thing. It's quite interesting you said that because as I was getting ready for the review, I was, you know, with the the history of horror movies I've I've gone through, you know, I've seen all types of gory, fucking crazy, black and white, fucking haunted house movies. Like, this one had never kind of appeared on my list. Nobody had really talked about it. So, when you had said it was on our list and you had mentioned you'd watched it and you didn't think it was very good, I thought, ah, okay, maybe I'm, I'm not going to enjoy it. But what I did find, and, you know, we'll, we'll get to talking about it, the experience I had with, you know, gory horror movies, more CGI, special effect horror movies, actually made this one stand out better. Because, you know, this is older. You have to rely more on camera work. You have to rely more on good acting and good script writing instead of just, you know, <coughs> terrifier, throwing lots of blood and guts at the screen and hoping that it fucking sticks. Well, I was thinking more like Conjuring or Paranormal Activity, which, you know, have been the dominant ghost oh, yeah, sort of movies lately. I've not watched them because they look shit. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. But at the same time, Peter uh, Medak, I like, uh, I'd, I'd seen The Craze 
Yes. Uh, when it came out when I was younger, like my mum had rented it. She'd kind of talked to me about, you know, Reggie and Ronnie and what they'd got up to in, in London at the time. So when this film had been released, she was kind of like, here, you should watch this movie. And yeah, you know, it's pretty damn good, you know, pretty well acted and, you know, yeah. a camera works pretty well. So, so the craze, I thought, hey, you know, that's some backing for the change thing. I know I'd seen this director's work in episodes of, like, Hannibal, the TV mm, series. Yeah, He's yeah. also worked on lots of other TV stuff. But the only other film that popped out was Species 2. Yeah, which like, oh, isn't great. But no. then, I mean, Species 1 isn't great. Well, I do have to say, though, and this is quite interesting. Like, like three weeks ago, I'd seen a poster for um, Zorro the Gay Blade and was like, what the fuck is that? So I'd wikied it. And then realised when I was researching for this film that it was done by the same director. So oh. we might have to throw that one on the list. It looks interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but man, George C. Scott. Yeah. Uh, like, I recognise him straight away from The Exorcist 3. Oh, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> Doctor Strangelove. Yes, he's, yes. He's great in that. Uh, I mean, he was great in Pattern. I did love his version. I mean, like, I kind of love all the Christmas Carol versions you can get out there. But the one he does is like... Like, he's really intense, and then he can be really quite mellow. Like, he's a really, really great actor. And this fucking opening, man. Whoa, like, the film... Like, before the even titles come up, it's him. It's it, New it, York it, State, November. Yeah, him and his wife and his daughter. You know, his his wife, uh, played by Jean Marsh, you know, from Return to Oz. Um, they're, they're pushing their car up the road because it's run out of gas or a flat tire or something. You know, and I like immediately I'm starting to get an ominous feeling. I'm feeling like, yeah, I mean, like when the daughter's just like, hey, mommy, let's go have a snowball fight in the road. Well, I mean, on the side, on the side, like, on the, the side road, of yeah. the road. It's like, oh, and I mean, the film language, like you, you, you only have to see a couple of movies to know when the film's telling you that something ominous is about to happen. Yeah. That wide shot. Then, of course, the car's coming. Yeah. You just know as an audience member what, what's about to happen. And even even though you know it's about to unfold, actually watching the, the, the mother and daughter get destroyed under that car. Yeah. Uh, and, because... then, and then the freeze image on the title as, uh, as yeah. our protagonist, uh, John Russell... Uh, just just looks on in horror. It just looks on in horror. I mean, because it, it's a truck that gets, you know, misses another car and then hits their car, which is parked, and then that runs over the people, and you're like, whoa. And then immediately after the titles come, we're now following John walking around. Like, it, it wasn't obvious at first what he did for a living, but then it starts to drip feed you. You know, he's a musician. Um, he, he likes to teach uh, classes, you know, and he's really quite well famous as well from what I gather because the class that we see him do, he's got loads of people there trying to be in on his lesson. Um, but he's talking to some of his friends as well and he's saying like, look, you know, I, I, I was in shock at first and then it seemed to kick in a couple of months later and I realised that they weren't coming home and they weren't in there and I was just in this empty house and I just needed to do something. So one of his friends uh, suggests getting a job in Seattle and, and working for their campus and then sets them up because he wanted to, like he says he wants a really big place just to be able to play. Yeah. No neighbors, nobody to disturb him. And so then when he gets uh, taken to the big house and he meets Trish Van Deria playing Claire Norman, uh, like this is, what, this is what was getting me. Like 
I'm not saying that like Peter Medak is like the greatest director of all time. Obviously not. But some of the camera work shots that he used while going around the house really made me feel like scared. Yeah. It, it, I don't know whether it's also the music or the low camera yeah, angle, yeah, the fact yeah. that the camera's always moving. You definitely get the sense that you are something in the house watching yeah. these intruders come in. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, he, he's been basically leased this house from the historical society. Yeah. And she's just like, well, actually, you know, I don't really know much about the house, except they didn't really try very hard to sell it to anybody. Yeah. I've only been with them a year, so they won't tell me anything. <laughs> yeah. And she, she mentions that nobody's been in this house for like 12 years or something, you know, and the fact that like when they're walking around the house, there's still stuff in there. And I'm like, so I get the feeling that whoever was last in here left, left in, in a hurry. hurry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it's it's about 12 minutes into the film where we get our first kind of spooky moment where the first thing he really notices in the house is this grand piano. Mm. And he starts playing it and one of the keys is dead. And of course, as he walks out of the room, camera zooms all the way up in onto that key as it's sustained as the camera then shows the wide shot again. Yeah. It's like, oh... Oh, there's something else in here. There's something else. And 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 we just follow John, you know, Joyce Scott in the house. Like, we do see, like I said, go to college and do work, you know, and go and talk to Claire about things going on in the house. Like, uh, you know, getting the gardener in, you know, getting a maid in. Because the, the, the historical society is funded uh, by Senator Joe Carmichael. And he's putting money into keeping the house kind of going. You know, nobody lives there, so they're just going to pay money to keep it clean, keep it tidy. And now they've got, you know, this musician in there. It's 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 all good. Um, but yeah, like you get that really ominous moment where he's sat there and he's playing the music and you just watch the door slowly open. I mean, it's an old tropey trick. Of course. But I was sat there in my front room with my headphones on and I just happened to turn behind me to look at my door into my living room. And I was sat there going, was that closed when I walked in? Did I open it? I, I'm just gonna keep watching the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and I mean that's only the beginning, really, of the the supernatural stuff. And it is all the most basics, which yes. I which I kind of appreciate. Like yeah. at six o'clock in the morning, we get the close up of the clock, and then we hear the loud banging yeah. in the house. And uh, and it happens again on, on the next morning. And he's talking to the janitor, and the janitor is just like. It's an old house. Yeah. Old houses make noises. You're just a stranger in it. Yeah. Nothing to worry about. Just go get I'm like, that's not normal noises. That's something fucking banging. Right. You know, I'm like I don't <laughs> but he know. But like, it's it's, he was like, it's rhythmic. It's like, it's there's no pattern. There's, there's a pattern to it. Yeah. And he's, he, and John starts to obviously, you know, wants to get more information from Claire as well. And you've got the, was it the Mrs. Huxley at the Historical Society? She's a bit suspicious. <laughs> like, like, they really picked a good actress to just kind of be suspicious as soon as <laughs> yeah. he starts asking questions in the history of this house. The house doesn't want people. Yeah. Is what she <laughs> says to him. And he's just like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'd love the fact that he's not really flummoxed by no. any of this stuff that's going on around him. That's how badass George C. Scott is. But I, I mean, exactly. I mean, part of me is like, is the character is um, John Russell dealing with the aftermath of his loss of his child and wife, and yeah. maybe it's manifesting. But I'm just like, I've seen enough of these ghost demon stories to know that whatever's in this house is sensing the weakness in him. Yeah, the yeah. emotional turmoil and his 
drawing strength from it. Yeah. And then, of course, the weird occurrences continue with the taps being turned on. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's gone out He's gone out for what, the, the music opera night, and he's seen Senator Carmichael, and then he ends up coming back to the house really late, and you you hear you hear water running. And so he's, he's walking around, and he goes into his kitchen, and there's a tap running, so he stops it, and then he can still hear... More water running, running water, yeah. So then he makes his way all the way up the stairs. And, like, as he's walking up the stairs, it's just getting darker and creepier. And, like Gary said, the camera is working as, like, you know it's just a camera looking at him, but you feel like something's watching him. And so then when he gets upstairs and he sees the bass running, he stops it. And then we get the first quick glimpse of this little boy ghost under the water drowning. And you're like, oh, what the fuck's that? But... Like it, like that threw me for a moment because it's not like George C. Scott, John Russell goes running screaming. He kind of backs out of the room and his back kind of forces a fade on the sh- on the camera, yeah. which I thought was quite good. Yeah, uh, but it's the banging that starts to really irritate him, and uh, at one point he ends up going and. Uh, well, no, it's a window that the window breaks smashes, in, in, yeah. in the attic. Yeah, uh, so he goes up there and he can't figure out where this room is, and mm. so he ends up breaking open a lock. To reveal another door into a secret room that looks like it's obviously fallen into complete disrepair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a wheelchair in there. And there's also some other items which he starts to try to piece together. Like, what happened in this room? Well, he found the music box, didn't he? Which I I didn't really get at first, but he explains to Claire, like, he played the tune. He'd been practicing writing a song specifically. Yeah. Out of nowhere. And then the tune is played on this music box, which is, you know, predates, like, what, 50, 100 years ago? Yeah, like 1909. So it's such a weird coincidence that he would be playing this this tune that's on there. So that causes him to further seek help. And he ends up, well, seeing... uh, He ends up seeing a scientist who's like, well, you know, like, there's lots of exploration into this field, but, you know, it's that 1% of all these investigations that has that true wow factor. So he's like, we're going to go and get a specialist. We're going to go and uh, see... uh, a parapsychologist, yeah, and uh, and uh, they bring her into the house, and I was like, oh, yeah, is, it's getting exciting now. Well, it's kind of a bit of a red herring as well because, like, we we're being fed the history of the house, but it only leads up to a certain date. So, where at first John and Claire think they're talking to this little girl who may have died, kind of like John's actual daughter in a crash on the road. That they find a body, and then when they bring the the two seance parapsychologists into the house to be able to do the seance, they start. You know, they ask the the woman asks the question. She's writing on the paper, and and what I thought was really quite interesting with with this seance is, did you recognise the man doing it with his wife? Not that <laughs> way. Not that way. <laughs> doing this, doing the seance with um, his wife. You know, I recognise him, but I couldn't place it. I meant to look him up. Well, the the guy, I looked it up. It was Eric Christmas who played Albert Harmon, the the husband to the seance lady, uh, Leah Harmon. And Eric Christmas was the priest from Harold and Maud. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, I looked at the... um, I could hear the guy's voice, and I'm kind of like, "I, I know you. I know your fucking face. And when I obviously quickly wikied it and IMDb'd it, I'm like... It's how the morning Um and this this whole setup's absolutely great, you know, because we weirdly enough, the film had set up quite well the ball. Yes. So we'd seen the bouncing ball at the beginning where where John had had a bit of a flashback of his his daughter playing with the ball 
and he he took the ball with him. Yeah, he had a protective scene where he took it back and put it somewhere safe. Yeah, and then we watch it, well, we hear it bouncing down the stairs towards John, so then he takes the ball, and he goes out in his car, and he drives to a bridge, and he he drops it off the bridge, kind of like a, look, I'm done, I'm releasing it. And then when he gets back, the ball bounces back down the fucking stairs. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's... That's actually the last straw for him to then go and get help. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And then when they're there doing the seance, you know, like we said, we've got Leah Harmon just kind of writing constantly with the psychic writing thing that they do. And they just start asking questions. And it's just like, my name is Joseph. No, I'm not Cora. Yes, I need help. But it's when John re-listens uh, to a taping that he's doing of the sounds that you actually start to hear the ghostly voice as yeah, well. Yeah, you get the EVP. And uh, yeah, that's that's really unsettling. Because mm. he obviously he does the rewind to playback over and over and over again just to really sell, you know, that we he's got these voices. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's again, it's all the most basic stuff. But yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I'm trying to think of films... That are in this vein earlier than this, and I, I actually can. Well, that's it. Like, I like like what you said. I can think like Amityville um, has moments like this, but Amityville is really more intense. Yeah. And at the same time, like I like Amityville, but uh, real or not, I don't know. I know this is just a film in a way. So, but it's more. But believable. it's also based on. Like I said, um, Russell's story where yeah. he said he went into uh, a place, found uh, a, a secret room in there yeah. because of weird noises, yeah. actually ended up doing some research about the, an orphanage, and then ended up finding a well and finding a body underneath it. So all yeah. of that has come from a real thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's if you are interested, you can YouTube it. There are videos going going into the, the, re- the original story. Yeah. Um, so I do think, like, e- even though... You know, it's hard to believe, or like as much as I want to. Yeah. You know, uh, all of this stuff. This film does sell it to you. Like it's very much plausible. Yeah. But again, like I, like I said earlier, I like that this thing is not outright attacking the yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yes, it's you know throwing a glass against the wall. It's breaking windows. The and... wheelchair at the top of the stairs. I mean, yeah, that is actually <laughs> ominous as all hell. <laughs> there's a scene later in the film, just to jump a bit later. There's a film where uh, Trish Van. Trish Van Deveri is uh, in the house and uh, she gets freaked out by that wheelchair. It chases, it, it chases her, her through the house. I was like, oh my god! They like the 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 the, the developers of Silent Hill Four clearly have seen the changeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Down wheelchairs. Well, that's it. I like you said. I I wasn't too sure if this thing was malicious or not. But then we like we'd seen uh, John get the flashback of what's happened. So. From what we gather, um, there was a really rich landowner, uh, I think his name's Richard Carmichael, um, but he had a son, Joseph, who was sickly uh, and was in a wheelchair. And the son had been left inheritance by Carmichael's granddad, loads of money. Like, the, the, the boy would have been set for life, he wouldn't have had to do anything. But the dad wanted the money. And knew that he couldn't get the inheritance from him. So he intentionally drowns his son. And uh, I mean, it's a hell of a terrifying shot. Just seeing this little boy sat in the bath, you know, can't really move or anything. And the dad comes in, grabs his legs and just yanks them out. So the boy's submerged and then just holds them there until the boy's dead. 
It's also the constant banging that yeah. we've been hearing throughout the film on the of side on the of the tub yeah. as the kid is, is struggling. And yeah, it's a pretty brutal scene and hard to watch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we immediately know then that yeah, the ghost the ghost of the house is this little boy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the plot thickens uh, as we find out um, that uh, Carmichael was also funding... Uh, an orphanage yes and ended up the same day he'd got rid of his child and bunged his body in a well yeah and buried it yeah uh, adopted a boy similar size and build and age to his son took him to europe brought him back and went mystery miracle cure he can yeah, walk he now can walk, yeah and of course would get the inheritance and then yeah the rich family would basically get away with it yeah and did get away with it for well over 50 years which leads john russell to Try now to find out where the boy's body was actually buried. Yeah. He sees somebody in the archives and the records who points out, yeah, there's a well on this map, but then we cut to 40 years later and the well's gone now. Yeah. But there's a house there. There's a house there. I was like, hey, Ring, did yeah. you steal an idea? <laughs> right? That's exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, there's a ghost in the well? I got to bring uh, Melvin Douglas, who was playing uh, the, the son, grown-up Senator uh, Carmichael, and like he's a really old actor i i haven't seen a lot that he was in when he was younger but he really gave off this presence i mean at first i was like that can't be the dad he'd be fucking like 150 years old and then obviously you start to piece together he's the the adopted child who's grown up and taken his fortune and turned it into a massive business he's a senator he's got his finger in loads of pies including the historical society taking care of the house you know um but what was really good and, and kind of spoilers, you know, he doesn't know. Right. Uh, you know, and so like... He, or does he know or does he suspect? Yeah, yeah. Like, did, did he have feelings like, you know, that something was just off or not? Because he did actually say his dad, he loved his dad. You know, his dad loved him or maybe just loved the money. But I just I just felt, like I said, for, for a movie that relies a lot on, you know, script, acting... Uh, delivering the lines, you know, camera work. He 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 did really well to have this character there for for George C. Scott to go up against. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Now uh, he does end up getting into contact uh, with the lady that owns the house that's now over where the well was. Yes, and uh, she's like, I'm I I'm almost convinced because when was it you did the séance? What three days ago? Because yeah. well, three days ago my daughter had a horrific nightmare about a boy trying to get up through the floorboards. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, but she's like, you know what? I'll think about it because I know what you want to do is come in here with chainsaws and dig up the whole house to yes. find this weld, which may or may not be there. So, nah. But the next night, the daughter ends up being pulled out of the bedroom, walking into the room above the well, Man, sees the boy drowning I in the was, well. Yeah, like when she got up, I was like, is she possessed? Is she going to start digging the floor up? And then She's been lured, yeah. Yeah, when the camera changed and you just see the boy underneath the water and she starts screaming, I'd be like, I'm fucking screaming too! <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, then we uh, were in there. Uh, floorboards being ripped up, yep. digging out the well, pulling up the soil, and yeah, it's not long before he finds the skeletal remains. Yeah, and, which he's not phased by. Of course, he's just like, yeah, there's a hand down there's here. There's a hand down there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knew it was going to be there. He knew. But he was also really trying to appease the spirit that's back at the house that he's staying at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I also thought it was interesting that the spirit was able to be at both locations, both where its remains were and where it actually was murdered. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was unsure if the ghost had caused the accident at the beginning. You know, 
there is a part of me that thought that too because yeah. there is a um, obviously the boy lost his well I've lost his life but lost his family and yeah, in yeah. that sense and of course he lost his family as well yeah uh, but there was also the fact that we saw the you know his we saw the vision of his daughter that dropped the ball which yeah. of course the ghost would drop the ball so I was like there's a couple of links yeah I was just like I think they're coincidences but yeah the but, film... but it made me think because of the music thing as well like how did he know the tune and before he found the music box yeah. and like you said like you said with with certain ghosts they're stuck in one spot where this 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 ghost is you know, on his on his body in Into the, the well. bridge to get you know, the ball it's been back. The bridge to get the ball. It's in the house. It's it's it, it <laughs> fucking kills a guy in a car later right. on. Like we don't even see. Guys, Baltar. But guys, Baltar. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so they they get the body up and they they actually call the police. You know, and the police take the body away and and they question John and they're like, "What do you know? Do you know who this is?" And John's like, uh, "No," <laughs> you know, and they're like, "Really?" And he's like, "How did you know it was here?" He's like. Guess, you know, um, but he knows that John knows that he can't really prove anything until he gets the medallion. Now, this medallion that um, the, the little boy was wearing is like proof that he was, you know, part of the Carmichael family. So uh, John goes back into the house at night when nobody's there um, and he just starts you know, trying to dig for it. And then we watch that kind of really cool shot of... The reverse motion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of it coming out. Like, the ghost is like, here, here, I've got it for you. You need to take my medallion back. And so he takes it to, to Senator Carmichael and he's waving it. And Carmichael just thinks he's absolutely insane. But he, he's questioning, hang on a minute, how has he got another medallion like mine? You know, because there only really should be one family heirloom. And that's when uh, Carmichael gets in, in contact with uh, Captain DeWitt uh, played by guys Boltar from Battlestar Galactica, uh, John Colicus, who are like, can he? Can that guy ever not be evil? Never, never. Like he just, <laughs> he's like he's Korg from fucking Star Trek. He's a, he's one of the original fucking Klingons. And the way Dewitt and George C. Scott go against each other, ah, oh, it's such a good scene where he's just like. So you want me to bring all my detectives round here to tear this house apart? And you know, George C. Scott's like, yeah, yeah right. Well, he, the senator, thinks he's about to be blackmailed. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, the, like some story might come out that will smirch his name. Yeah, yeah. And so he sent his goon after to basically scare him off and get the medallion back. But yeah. he's just like, nah, leave. Like, bring it, bring, raid the house, do raid whatever you're going to do. Um, and of course, then um, Claire Norman comes back to the house and she's like, I've just been fired. What the hell have you been doing? Yeah. Oh, Gaius is here. <laughs> yeah. oh. Where's but the Cylons? Voltar's like, well, fine, I'm going to go get the police and I'll be right back. And literally like a scene later, we cut to uh, uh, John Russell who walks past his mirror, which yeah. shatters, shatters in front of him. Yeah. And then we get the call and we get the scene on the side of the road where Captain DeWitt's car is upside down with a hole punched right through it. Yeah. And he's dead. It's yeah. Like, oh. Damn. And Claire's just like, there's no other cars and it's upside down. Like, like, like well, maybe this ghost is pretty damn it's violent. It's just killed somebody. It's as fuck. Um, but then we get, obviously, John, uh, he gets called uh, to Carmichael's house. Carmichael has come home, realises DeWitt is dead. Uh, he's a bit freaked out. So he gets John to come round and he, yeah, like you said, he's, he just says to him, like, look, you want to fucking blackmail me? How much money do you want? And it was really nice that, like, John Russell, George C. Scott, it's kind of like, that's not what I'm here for. Like, I'm here to deliver this medallion back, you know. And they they, they have that back and forth. Like, uh, John says to him, like, I know he killed this little boy. 
and and Carmichael's just like, no, my dad, you know, he was great. He was, you know, was really emoting about how this, how dare you besmirch my dad's name. But as the audience, you're like, we fucking know he killed him. So we just need, and you kind of are starting to get suspicious about it as well. And so, so John leaves him with the medallion and goes off and you got that horrible picture of the dad <laughs> on the table. Like, <laughs> like, eyes might as well have been fucking moving back and forth. That's how evil that picture is. But Claire's been, Claire's, gone to the house and they've done a little bit of an Amityville thing where the light turns on. And, and so the door's she, open. Yeah, and so she's like there and she gets lured into the house. And this is where I was like, okay, so the ghost is now being malicious to people. It slammed all the doors on uh, John yeah. earlier. And John was like, look, I've dug up. I've, your remains have been been dug up. Like, the medallion's been give, given back. Like, what do you want from me? Well, that's it. Like I, like, I started to question, like, if it can do all this, like, did it need to be released to be doing all this? Or could it have done all this anyway? It just waited. Like, why not make Carmichael's plane crash? Right. If, know, if it really why... wants him some revenge. Yeah. Or, or, or does it, you know, is it going to be appeased once it's been buried and it's found its, you know, it's had its name cleared and all this. It's like, fuck me, ghost. Seriously. <laughs> it's got a checklist of once, right? Like, and if it doesn't, it's going to wheel that wheelchair around the house <laughs> until it gets you. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, John returns in time uh, and saves Claire and pulls her out. And then he goes back into the house. It's a bit of trivia for you. Did you yeah. know the two of these were actually married at this point in time? Really? Yeah, I think they'd also appeared in like six films together as well. I wondered why there just seemed to be some real chemistry between yeah. Claire and George C. Scott. But There was also a moment in the film where I think Trish calls George by his real name George in the film when they're having a bit of an argument and she's turned up crying. Right. Uh, and when she steps away, I'm pretty sure she calls John George. <laughs> be obviously because of their familial relationship. Yeah, but I'm like, yeah. But then John and George sound so similar, I couldn't they, tell. Yeah, yeah. And so so George, John, uh, goes back into the house and yeah, and he's... Sorry, just... Okay. Right. Did you know that the whole front of that house is a complete facade? I, I did. It's a complete fake. It's actually the whole house itself is a set. Yeah. And um, what they did was just put like this Victorian Gothic front on this house. And yeah. It paints a, a pretty good picture. I there. mean, it was multiple sets as well was, where yeah. they were going, and it it, it did flow. It, it, you you felt like you were just in one big house. Like dimension wise, I was questioning, like Jesus Christ, how how big are these rooms next to the kitchen and the bathrooms and where how many bedrooms you're in because you only see so much but what you do see works you know sets the house as a haunted house and then you know like i said john saved claire he's gone back inside the house to confront joseph you know he's, he's told him like i've done everything you want and you 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 get the, the wind blowing and the slow motion of George C. Scott trying to go upstairs. But at the same time, we cut back to Carmichael, who's at his, at his desk, looking at his dad's picture, kind of shaking the desk. And well, I think the desk is like the, the amulet. The ghost the is there, yeah. yeah. Um, and he sees the, the vision that we'd seen earlier as well of, of the little boy being drowned. And so he realizes it's real. And we see George C. Scott get knocked off the banister and hit the ground floor. Um, chandelier shaking, chandelier fire shaking. starts down the banister stairs. Yeah, but you get that really great shot as well of Carmichael, like Carmichael being there 
or like just the spiritual presence of Carmichael walking up the stairs as the fire is going. So then the stairs crash, you know, he walks up to the attic and then he walks into the room and then he sees the ghost there and the, the room just fucking... Explodes. Explodes. <laughs> the whole house Every goes whole up. The whole house goes up and Carmichael's actually still at home and dies of a heart attack. Yeah. It's a little bit confusing with the edits, but yeah. That's but it, but, basically it. Yeah, it was, but I, I got it. Like, yeah. I, I got that. He... It was the fact that as well that, um, that, that John and Claire are right at Carmichael's house, like immediately afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, once they, once they come out and the house is burning down, yeah. they're dropping down. I think George would have said to her, like, look, we need to go to Carmichael's because I've just seen a vision of him. Yeah. You know, we need to see what's going on. And, and we see him getting wheeled out into the ambulance. Yeah. And, and, and he's dead. And, and and then you know the next morning they they're kind of driving away and they drive past the ruins of the house and you know you get the old tropiness of the camera coming down seeing the wheelchair seeing the musical box but it's it's kind of nice the music box kind of opens and instead of being the evil ominous presence it's just the lullaby playing well it's the same tune isn't yeah. it yeah but then I was like so. Is the boy's spirit still that's here? It, that's what I was like. It still can't is leave. Is he appeased? Yeah. Is he, is he just like, ha, 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 I've killed them all. Now I can play with my music box. The, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so confused. I'm like, because that should have sent the spirit to the light or appeased it. I don't Sh- know. Should it? I mean, what, I mean, this film didn't actually, you know, do the usual. Like, it didn't. Go like, into the light. Yeah. yeah. Like, poltergeists have done it. You know, and Amateville has got a priest in. But, like, why didn't he bring a priest back? And just bless the house. Well, it also means like if the if the spirit is still there playing the music box, then John's misery with this ghost is not going to be over because it's going to turn up at his place wherever he goes next. Yeah, <laughs> or or it's just stuck in the music box, and the music box is maybe it'll, maybe it's the last song it's playing before its body actually gets buried, and then it's crazy though. You said that Claire and John had that relationship because as they drove off, I was kind of happy they got together. Yeah, right. You know that they that he would be happy, maybe start another family. That's yeah, yeah, funky. Well, Liam, what were your favourite scenes from The Changeling? Um, I had I had a few. I mean, I, I really loved that opening sequence, even though, like, it was brief, uh, it was quick, you know, we only get to see Joan Marsh for a little bit. It really just fucking hit home. It, it, you know, it sent the level of the movie, like, here. You know, you've just seen a mum and daughter get absolutely smashed. You know they ain't getting up. And so now you're travelling with John, George C. Scott, through his turmoil, which, you know, if you're experienced... Uh, with with supernatural films and stuff like that, you know, like 1408, you know, the ghost does that same thing as well. It, it just kind of latches on and then, you know, is he crazy? Is he just overthinking his family? But then you actually see the evidence for yourself and you're like, no, there's fucking something here. Um, I really like the shot uh, of George C. Scott, kind of. I know he wasn't really playing the piano, um, but... Actually... The he actor was. went and learned the to play the piano Fuck yeah, George. the movie. Fuck yeah, George. <laughs> it's when he sat there playing and he's smoking a cigarette at the same time. Like, I was like, man, like if he's really fucking playing that, he's a badass fucking piano player. Yeah, George, my boy, George. I like the the sequence where he um he he's looking at the photos of his family, like. It really did surprise me that he's only got those shots of Gene Marsh and the door from like the beginning. <laughs> right. Like, they don't have like any baby shots, you know, or Christmas shots. It's literally just them. Like the director was like, we need, we need family shots. But then it was the ball bouncing down the stairs, you know, and then him taking the ball out to the bridge and dropping it. And I watched him drop it. And I'm like, that motherfucker coming back. Oh, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> we know. I mean, we know. And then when, when it dropped back down again, I was like, oh. 
Oh god! Same when uh, Claire looked up the stairs and she was all upset, and the she, shock. The, yeah. yeah, the wheelchair was just sat up the stairs. Like, you know, I want to say the ending was pretty good, but like, I I felt like that was the third act they needed to kind of fit in. They needed an action impact ending to get the audience because the rest of the film had been a bit slow. Oh yeah, being yeah. a bit of a build up, so they needed something intense to get you. So a wheelchair chasing Claire down fucking corridors that'll do it. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, the, the vision of DeWitt, like, Gaius Boltar. I love a bit of Gaius Boltar. And it's a shame he died, but that stare from his window, like, whatever he saw fucking killed him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this film's got some really good uh, memorable moments. Again, I'm going to support you on the, the opening scene. Mm. Uh, it's uh, it, it sets everything up. You know, it's a, it's a real gut punch to, to watch that tragedy happen. Um, but then... Um, George C. Scott really sells you on that loss uh, throughout the first uh, third of this film. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, very impactful um, scene. The house doesn't want people. <laughs> just like when she says that with such authority, you're just like, yeah, she's probably telling the truth. She might as well have just said, get out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so those moments in films, always love those. And this one was great. The bouncing ballsing, that's <laughs> yeah, it, bouncing down the yeah. stairs. It is so ominous. It yeah. is so creepy. It's the long shot, you know? It's not quick edits and cuts. The slow drive out there, the throwing of the ball, the coming back, it bouncing down wet down the stairs. It's just like, that's that's awesome. Like, even though you know it's coming, yeah. <laughs> like, just watching it play out is yeah. very effective. One last bit of trivia for you. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, just because the film's called The Changeling. Yes. Um, but changelings uh, are actually from, like, European folklore, and it's usually describing or referring to like a troll or a fairy or an elf. Yeah. Uh, their offspring basically being swapped in the placement of a human child. Ah. Uh, that's usually a changeling or the swapped child. Uh, so the film's title, I thought, yeah, it's actually pretty, pretty good. Well, I thought it, I, like all the way through the movie, I was just like, right, I don't actually understand what this changeling title. You might as well but, call it a haunted house. The boy that was adopted is the changeling. True, true. Yeah. But, but that, it was when George C. Scott delivers that line at the end and he just goes you're the changeling i'm like yeah. boom title yeah, drop, title drop. <laughs> yeah. well uh, let's have a quick ghostly recap okay shall we yeah first up we have the piano key then we have banging noises opening doors taps running more taps running <laughs> ghost image in the bathwater. windows breaking more banging ball bouncing down the stairs Teleports back and bounces down the stairs. The seance with ghost writing. Yeah. Glass breaking. EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. The wheelchair at the top of the stairs. The ghost in the well. The doors banging. The mirror breaking. The chandelier shaking. The house burning. The room exploding. The music box playing by itself. Mm. Well, Ian, do you recommend The Changeling? I, I do, uh, but if if I'd watched this when I was younger, like Gary, I probably wouldn't have appreciated it as much as I do now. I think through my experience of watching all manner of horrors, all different styles, you know, the, the good, the bad, the fucking really boring and shit, um, this, this is just one of those well-made scary movies. Like, I'm not telling you to rush out and watch it straight away. What I'm saying is, is if you have... Like, what was it? It was an hour and 40 or an hour and 45 minutes. And I thought it was going to drag. I really did. But by about the 50 minute mark, I was invested. 
I was like, I, I was building up investment. Once I once I got to the fifty minute mark, I'm like, I don't care how long this movie is. I need to see it towards the end. I got the ominous feeling, the creepiness, you know. So if you can get a, a version of this film, a copy of it, or whatever, you know, sit quietly, turn the lights down, you know, and just let the movie kind of wash over you. Because even like when you watch the 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 words, the the credits appear at the beginning, I kind of got the Exorcist feeling. You know, knowing George C. Scott is an exorcist free, that makes it even better. You know, I like Amityville, but man, this this house was pretty damn fucking scary with just George in there on his own. Uh, yeah, the ghost, some people might say he could do more, but man, that little girl, she was fucking terrified. <laughs> I'm highly recommending The Changeling, as I found it to be a really well-crafted mystery ghost thriller with plenty of suspense and scares. If you like haunted house horror movies, this one has all the tropes and cliches with the banging noises and door slamming, etc. But the haunting parts are well spaced out, effective, creepy and unsettling, and they're not overused or simply there to create jump scares. George C. Scott does a fantastic job in the lead role. He sells the trauma and the heartache of his loss. He controls the screen well with his presence. And I found it fairly refreshing to watch, well, a haunted house film where the protagonist wasn't scared easily. Yeah. And he remained pretty rational and logical throughout. The narrative in Mystery was compelling. You'll want to find out who the ghost is and what the changeling wants. It's a good little ghost story without any monstrous demons that you know, that dominate this genre. Yeah. The cinematography was decent. The ghost POV shots were unsettling, along with the film's score. You know, the music by Rick Wilkins, though, I did find it a bit mixed. Often or not, it was understated, and it was really chilling, and then other times, it was just too loud and over-the-top and distracting. For me, less was more in this film's instance. Mm. I passed on this film in my teen years as boring ghost film. Now I really appreciate this very simple and effective ghost story and uh, hope more horror fans check this cult check out this cult classic. An experience beyond total fear. Thanks for watching off the shelf reviews.